Let's break down the pros and cons of the first round options, tight end, corner, defensive line, offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals in the 2023 draft. And running back, baby. You are locked on Bengals. Your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Uh, Bengals fans and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm your host Jake Lisko. We're joined today by Joe Goodberry and of course James Rapine always here with me on Locked On Bengals. We're about a week away from the draft here. Very very close. We're going to focus in on the first round today. You can subscribe to the Lockdown Bengals podcast on YouTube. You can follow anywhere you get your podcast. You can join that first listen club which isn't an official club but you get the idea and become an everyday listener here as we head toward the draft. Tomorrow, we're joined by Brian Callahan, if you want to be one of those everyday listeners. And today, we're going to get into first-round draft targets. There's a lot of them. When you're drafting at the end of the first round, there are a ton of players in play. Zach Taylor recently addressed the media as the Bengals initiated their offseason program, was asked about what he likes in a tight end. Asked a little bit about that pick, talked about going best player available, talked about really an all-round tight end. Very generic answer. The tight ends that are on the team enable the Bengals to go into the draft without direly needing to draft a tight end to play immediate snaps, to play 500, 800, 900 snaps this year. 900 would be a very big number. But they could still draft a tight end in the first round. So let's start there. The the vibes, the word on the street is that the top two tight ends in the draft, Dalton Kincaid and Michael Mayer, may not make it to the Bengals pick. Especially Kincaid, who seems to be getting mocked top 20 constantly right now. But Michael Mayer, the local kid, could still be in play. Although, again, the vibes are very strong to Dallas right now for Michael Mayer. But let's talk about this idea of first-round tight end, given what we know about this class in general, what we know about Michael Mayer. And Joe, let's start there with Mayer. What, what are you thinking from a, from a pros and cons perspective to using your first round pick on Michael Mayer as it shapes the rest of the draft too? Really my only con is the value of the position. You know, the history of maybe the mac- way to maximize drafting a tight end is in the mid rounds, second to fourth round, if you will. Uh, spending a first round pick is probably waste of an opportunity to draft a premium position, whether it be pass rusher, offensive tackle, corner, whatever you decide. But there's there's definitely more impactful positions or more premium positions available at that slot. So if you do make that pick, that's really the only negative for me if it's mayor. Uh, the, the high end positive part of it is he's an extremely clean and safe prospect from an a lot of perspectives, whether that's uh, production, athleticism, testing, uh, and even the film and everything else that you may throw in there and being a local prospect and all that and how he would fit this offense, I think would be a great fit as well. Uh, I think he would be a plug and play, probably 700 to 800 snaps, just because you brought it up a minute ago. A guy right away and beat would be your tight end one. I know Irv Smith said he's excited to be the starting tight end, but you know when you spend a first round pick, that guy is now your starter and Irv Smith has seen that before as he's been uh, replaced countless times now in his short career by better, higher pedigree tight ends. I think Mayer would be, to me, like a B-plus pick and only getting weighed down because of the value of tight end. 
What stands out about him when you watch him? Like what, what if they take him at 28, what's your initial tweet or two that you're sending out? It, like instant thoughts, instant reaction about adding him to this roster. He's the best tight end they have since Tyler Eifert, prime Eifert, 2015. So like I would instantly see it as an upgrade to this offense. Uh, even though they've gotten decent production out of the tight ends the last couple of years with Joe Burrow at quarterback, I still think there would be a whole nother level. There's a lot of meat left on that bone, in my opinion, especially in the games where the defenses are saying we're going to take away or at least attempt to take away Higgins and Chase. You got a guy over the middle uh, that can do a lot of damage and be force fed a heavy volume of targets if the game calls for it. Uh, so I would say the offense gets more dynamic. It gets better. Uh, it gets more reliable at that position. But also at the same time, like looking at him specifically, I think for an average to maybe even above average athlete, I think he he understands how to run routes. He understands his body composition. He knows how to get in and out of breaks and maximize what he does have. I think he does have good quickness off the line. I think he breaks in and out at the top of routes really cleanly and really well. And his hands are very good. And if I'm looking for a receiving option, a, a guy that has seen this volume of targets and has run from the Y position, from the slot, from out wide, and been relied on in heavy situations or in third down, red zone. Like, that's what I want out of a first-round pick. So he checks those boxes as a receiving tight end, and he's a good enough blocker, especially in this class that I think is lacking that. He was a star at Notre Dame. Really liked the Josh Norris, Hayden Winks breakdown of Michael Mayer, underdog fantasy. They did a good job pointing out early declare dominated a Notre Dame offense, like high-end school, right? Was a was a high-end prospect, did all these things, and then wasn't an elite athlete. And that's the question with Mayer is, are you missing out on athletic upside? Even Darnell Washington, who people will tell you on tape, moves worse than Mayer, tested like a, a very, very high-end athlete, beat out Mayer in, I think, every test. Sam Laporta tested like a better athlete. Tucker Craft tested like a better athlete. Dalton Kincaid on tape appears to be a better athlete with more upside in the receiving game. Luke Musgrave tested like a better athlete. There are a lot of guys that you could look at and say, well, should they wait on tight end? And that's the other part of the conversation where there's certainly a scenario where Michael Mayer kind of forces your hand because he's available and some of the other guys we're going to talk about are gone. Uh, but that's the other part of it, right? Is, is when you look at some of the guys that could be second round options, that, then you're weighing and, and talk about the value of the position and the history of the position where a lot of times, you know, the, these guys that are at the top of the league are not first round picks. They're just often good athletes that are picked a little bit later. How does that play into to your decision making, Joe? If I were to set a rule for drafting, and I try to do this in my mind every year, like, oh, well, you shouldn't draft a running back in the first round, things like that, right? One of my tight end rules would be give me the most athletic guy in the mid-rounds and let's roll the dice. Because I I still feel like that's the best chance of finding a star uh, tight end without really risking much, right? You spend a third-round pick on a guy that's a really good athlete, if Tucker Craft's still there, or a second-round pick, if Laporta or Musgrave or even Craft, I guess, is in that range. I like those options better than I do taking Kincaid or Mayer at 28 because I if you could say I get Laporta Musgrave or Kraft at 60 and some of these other guys we're going to talk about at a more premium position at 28 I like those options much more than it is Mayer at at 28 and then come back in round two and it's okay we're hoping 
you know, there's still somebody that's a top 45 player left on the board. Uh, the, maybe the value doesn't exactly line up. Maybe that's running back territory. Maybe that's, hey, Dewan Jones is still there. Great. That sounds awesome. But if we're looking at it cleanly, round two is the place where I don't like a lot of options outside of outside of tight end and maybe a corner because it's a strong class. Let's talk about some of those other options. And just because I get the pick, let's go with cornerback. We'll talk about cornerbacks next here on Locked on Bengals. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. And there's no better place to get in on all of the Major League Baseball action, all of the NBA playoff action, than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 in bonus bets back if that first bet doesn't win. FanDuel, home of the no-sweat first bet. Well, you could start cashing in today on same-game parlays. Maybe you like the Lakers. Maybe you like the Warriors to come back down 0-2 to the Kings. You can do all of those things and so much more with your no-sweat first bet at FanDuel. So go to FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. James, you picked the position. I'm going to let you lead the segment. I imagine there's three big names we're talking about here. Emmanuel Forbes, Deontay Banks being the two that I think people are probably expecting. And we're going to see Cam Smith in here too, I think. Yeah, for sure. And let's let's start with my favorite of the three. And Joe has certainly sold me on him, I would say somewhat, but it's no secret that I like playmakers. Listeners of this show know it. And it, that might come up at some point during this podcast. But can you imagine a cornerback that's a playmaker? That's who yes. I want. And, and that's Emmanuel Forbes to me. 166, 186, 2006. I don't care what he weighs. He's he's my guy. If he's there at 28, realistically, I think he could be the best player available. So pros and cons of of Emmanuel Forbes. And since I just gassed him up, let's start with the cons, Joe. What stands out? So he is thin, and it does show up at times on tape uh, because he doesn't mentally always understand that he's only 166 pounds. He said he played at 173 last year in a recent interview. He was 170 at his pro day. We should at least say that. There's some uh fluctuation or, or standard deviation there in his weight however you want to put it but uh he doesn't always mentally realize he's small like and i like that there's some dog in him especially if you're you know as the kids say he's gonna run head first into guys he's gonna take on blocks and try and throw guys off of him he's gonna go in and go head first right into jameer gibbs uh, that you'll see that highlight and really stone him uh, you know and so yeah maybe a 230 pound back is gonna be a different story for uh, emmanuel forbes but at the same time in the sec playing 750 snaps every single year of the last three years. So I imagine he was even lighter when he was a a 19 year old out there playing. It never affected him other than he comes up against a bigger guy and he doesn't realize he's the smaller guy and he gets thrown around a little bit, but he's still fighting through it and trying to make a play. I appreciate that. And uh, if that's the negatives of him, there's also, he's a little bit high cut, meaning sometimes getting in and out of breaks. Uh, He's, he's only six, just under six, one, but his wingspan is of a guy that's six foot seven, and I think his legs match that as well. Uh, you can definitely see that sometimes getting in and out of breaks, he uh, isn't the sharpest or quickest in and out, and then he it tends to mean he's going to play and lean on a guy and use his hands a little bit too much. Doesn't get penalized that much. He's not on the high end of it like a Deontay Banks who we'll talk about. Uh, but you do see it at times where he walks the line of fair and foul. But I think that kind of matches the the who I think he could be. And I think it mostly comes to like a Richard Sherman who did that as well, an off uh, cover three type corner with tremendous ball skills, intelligence, but would walk that line of what's fair and foul at the top of a, a, 
of the route where he could get his hands on a guy. So I think Forbes, that's, you know, those are the negatives of it. The positives are he's a great athlete. He has tremendous ball skills, as good as anyone I've ever scouted at corner. And I love watching the corner position. He is as good as I've seen. Uh, the ball in the air is not 50-50. It's probably 60-40 in, in advantage of him on go routes and everything. It's it's really scary to throw his way. And you can see offenses in their game plan just say, we are not going to do it. We are not going to test it. It is too big of a risk to throw towards him. Uh, and I think he's actually a really good run defender and tackler, despite being small. When he can be, right? Like yeah. the technique is there. The willingness is there. The want to is there. You talked about that as, you know, not always having that cognition that, oh, yeah, I'm 170 pounds sometimes when, when some guys are a little bit bigger out there. But the want to is there. And if he can add weight to his frame and looking at him, I, I think there's some room to add weight to his frame. I think that that thought probably exists in the NFL as well, then some of that will diminish a little bit given the way he plays. You talked about ball skills. So I imagine, I know you love ball skills. I know that's your number one thing for corners. I imagine that's the biggest differentiator between he and Deontay Banks for you, right? Because Banks also tested like a good athlete, has a good production, tests like a, a crazy good athlete, I should say. Like not just a good athlete, 10 RAS, the uh, most athletic corner kind of testing we've seen. What is it? The ball skills? Is that is that the big differentiator for you between those two guys? Is there something else? So ball skills are uh, a big thing there. And I, I'm not sure Banks actually gets the opportunity. He's in a lot more man coverage, uh, press man situations. And sometimes when you're back to the ball, you don't have a chance to play it. Right. So I percentage wise, I think Forbes gets more opportunities to play the ball, but he why wouldn't you? Because he's so good at it. Uh, with Banks, he's more of a – he can play a lot of press man, very smart in zone. Uh, I think that those two share that. Uh, to me, not just the ball skills. It is the willingness to tackle and play the run as well. Banks struggles there. He is, honestly, I think a poor run defender. A good tackler, but he picks and chooses when to tackle. Like, all right, I, I'm going to be able to get this guy down or I have to. He will tackle. But otherwise, he's not going in there and squeezing that hole. He's not going in there and, and making it harder on the running back. Uh, there are a lot of plays where he actually, I'm like, you know, you have outside contain here, and you're letting that running back go right by it. People were, were upset with William Jackson on a couple of those. You're going to see that with Deontay Banks. And I've got highlights on Bengals on the brain, depending on when you're listening to this, where we go over Deontay Banks, and you're going to see this a couple times, where it's like, man, you got to get in there and get in that run a little bit more aggressive and a little bit harder. And he's the bigger guy. Uh, but he doesn't have the length of Emmanuel Forbes either. So, we, you know, I know we'll talk about weight a lot with these guys, but he's not as long as him either. And I think that le causes him to lean into guys at the top of the route. And he's an often penalized corner and one of the highest in this class. So I, I think there are issues when, in his game. I don't think it's as clear cut that he's a number four guy. And if you look at history, there should only be three corners drafted before the Bengals are on the clock but it's a strong class. I think four could happen. Maybe it starts at like 22 or so in those few picks right before the Bengals. I think that means it could be Deontay Banks and Forbes on the on the board when the Bengals are on the clock if it goes by history. It would be interesting. And another guy I know you like, and you mentioned weight, Cam Smith, 180 pounds, especially if Emmanuel Forbes played at 173. It's pretty close there. Obviously, you'd want both guys to weigh more in an ideal perfect world. But since we're continuing the, the cornerback conversation, let's continue with ball skills. I know you like that from Cam Smith. What else stands out about him, and why do you think he could be in play at 28? I do. He comes out um, really good profile overall. And, and in 
South Carolina that has produced a lot of corners too. And I think actually both their guys, Darius Rush is probably going to be a nice mid round target as well. Uh, the scheme really put, knows how to use these guys. Doesn't leave them exposed too often. There are times where he will be in a press man situation and I don't think he's getting much help from the safety over top because you see him bail quickly and really want to get to that deep third and not get beat deep. Uh, but I think his ball skills are great. He gets his hands on a lot of passes. There's a play in particular, and I can't remember the opponent, but he goes up and he bats the ball away. The receiver ends up almost coming down with it, and he bats it out again. And it's like, man, like you've got me hooked right then and there. And then I see him playing some slot as well and blowing up a screen pass, and I'm like, man, that's some Mike Hilton stuff. Like He will tackle. He's willing. He's small. So he's got similar issue to Emmanuel Forbes, but he's definitely willing to stick his nose in there. I think he is hit or miss as a run defender and tackler. I, it's, it's, I'm going to say this a lot, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, you're meant to cover. A corner is supposed to cover. The, the trait that I have found that to lead me astray when looking at corners and they don't work out in the NFL is when they're not interested in always playing the run, being aggressive, not letting a pass even come in their direction, not even letting the run come in their direction. You don't have to be great at it. You just have to be willing all the time because I think it, it shows competitive spirit, want to, and I think NFL coaches really value that stuff. So I think Cam Smith fits there, even though he's not great at it. The thing with Cam Smith, though, is I think he does get exposed a lot because he's not getting the safety help. Some of his numbers aren't going to look great when matched up with other guys. Like if we use PFF data and we look at it, sometimes you look at Cam Smith's numbers and you're like, man, you know, uh, a guy like that, does he go in the first round when his man coverage grade isn't isn't very good? Can he do it? And I think on tape he can. So I think Cam Smith overall is like a emergency scenario. Like if we were putting these guys in buckets, all right, the draft went weird. There isn't one of these top guys that we thought and we that we've talked about for the last few months. Cam Smith could be right on the cusp of that next group. I think a couple other names that we should just mention here at corner that could be break glass in case of emergency kind of names that we don't have time to necessarily do deep dives on. But Keely Ringo, we know that they've spent some time talking to uh, at the combine. They were present at his pro day, of course. Yeah. Uh, Clark Phillips, a lot smaller, 5'9", in terms of height. Uh, probably a slot only guy spent time with him at the combine. I don't know that those guys get into the first round. I don't know if any of those guys get into the first round. Like you go look at the beast and Keely Ringo's got a one, two grade there, but Clark Phillips solid to Darius rush and Cam Smith, both South Carolina corners, both with a second to third round grade from Dane. So I know Cam Smith comes out a lot better in our process on the board that we're going to be releasing here, hopefully pretty soon. Uh, that that includes a lot of pretty good players a corner, really deep class there, which could be another reason that maybe you look elsewhere in the first round. And well, if I could have with Ringo real quick, just uh, he doesn't grade that far below Cam Smith for us either. Right. He's 20 years old. He's one of the youngest guys in this class and has played some of the most snaps. He started for Georgia when he, since he's been young. There's going to probably be some Ohio Bengals fans that look at the game against Ohio State and Marvin Harrison has his way with them. But I think Marvin Harrison's going to be a top five pick next year. And you kind of say, OK, it is what it is. And I also think he struggled with Tillman from Tennessee as well. But he's one of the the thicker, stronger corners in this class, over 200 pounds, willing, willing tackler in that Georgia defense. Uh, I just don't think he has the ball skills I typically like. But I could see uh, Robert Livingston, I think, was at the pro day running that defensive back drill that's usually a, an indication that somebody from the scouting department said, hey, we need a coach there. They Bengals send their coaches a lot to these things, but we need you to run that drill. Kind of like I remember always, always, always remember the uh, Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson, make sure you get to North Carolina. Make sure you put Giovanni Bernard through that workout because we really like him. Joey Porter Jr. 
if he falls to 28, do you think they would consider him? Yeah, I do. And I, I think it's people are just automatically assuming he's the third corner off the board. I think he could get mixed in with Forbes and Banks and be in that same group. Uh, yeah. To me, he also picks and chooses when to defend the run. Well, he's got the long arms so he can really disrupt receivers, really make it hard at the catch point for a lot of these guys, even though he doesn't have great ball skills. Um, he needs some development still. I think there is, I think that grouping is much closer than uh, maybe the outside has assumed. Some other positions we should talk about here. That's a lot on cornerback, which is certainly in play for the Bengals in the first round. But what about defensive linemen? What about James running back? You want to sneak that in here? Maybe we will if we have time. Maybe we should. We'll finish the show there coming up next. Let's talk about running back. No, I'm just kidding. Let's not. Let's talk about a guy that's been debated a lot. And I think Bengals fans are sort of torn. Our listeners are are sort of torn. And the Bengals, at least there's a a growing belief that they could potentially pass on Kalajikansi if he's there at 28. Arm length is... Obviously a concern overall size people have, have said is a concern that could cause him to fall. One, would you take him at 28, Joe? And based on the Bengals history, why do you think they could potentially pass or would potentially pass? Yeah, I would take him at 28. I think the upside there of a guy that has extreme athleticism and production um, and the flash plays are just so ridiculously good that, you can see a way that even if he doesn't become, because I think people put set the standard of Aaron Donald, Geno Atkins, whatever, even if he doesn't become that and he's a, I mean, just submit him into this defensive line room. He's easily the most athletic defensive tackle they have. And he's probably the most versatile defensive lineman they have where you can line him up all around. You can do stunts and twists with him, And he instantly becomes a guy that becomes a problem for opponents to, to figure out where he's lined up and what you're going to do with him. And I, I find that attractive. Uh, the, the negative end of it is the size, and I'm much more weary of his size than I am a guy like Emmanuel Forbes because it, I think teams and scouts, Jake alluded to this, when you see a body type or how a guy is built, they're going to measure wrist size, knee size, ankle size, arm length. They want to know what your frame looks like and how much weight you could probably add, and I think Forbes can add that weight. When I watch Cansey and I look at Cansey's body type, I don't think so. Five to eight pounds, maybe as a, as an adult human male, like that's just what it's going to be as he's 25 years old. But you see his waist, you see his, his shoulders. He doesn't look very broad at all. He looks like he probably should have been playing defensive end his whole career. And other negatives are there are quarters defense with a lot of stunts and twists up front. It allows that defense to feast, especially up front. And I think there are a lot, a lot of guys that if you watch the pit defense will feast uh, on that defensive line and get there. It, get their sacks and their tackles for a loss. If you look at the production numbers, Cansey was very productive, but his production isn't higher than a guy like uh, Tommy Adebuare based on a percentage basis because Northwestern didn't have the defensive success that Pitt did. Everyone in Pitt ate at the dinner table, if you will, and and, and Cansey was one of those guys. Now, I'm, I, I kind of did the upside of it, but I do think – he is a lot stronger than people assume at 280 pounds. He does get under people natural leverage when you're six foot six one. We talk about the short uh, defensive tackles. It, it you're going to be an outlier. But also these guys that are six five six 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 seven at D tackle struggle with leverage. He's not going to struggle with that. He's going to get under guys. He's going to push them around, even though he's not the biggest guy. And I think his his hand quickness, foot quickness, agility, ability to bend around the edge. Um, I would be all over it, but I could see size scaring a lot of teams. I'm not denying that at all. The amount of times that he wins immediately 
and then has that burst to close the gap on the quarterback yeah. is just so impressive on tape. The, the, the like teleport reps where it's like, how the heck did he get there so quickly? And, and people knock his run defense, Joe, all the time when I talk about Cansey on Twitter. It's like, what are you going to do when it's third and three? Well, one, if you're the Bengals, especially this year, he's probably just not on right. the field in that situation. But two, in like a second and eight, and the other team decides to run the ball because they think they have a beneficial front with Cansey on the field. I think he's a pretty good run defender. There are times that he gets washed and, and a guy gets into him, but more often than not, I think he's pretty good at slipping those blocks and he's taken on double teams on tape. Like that's there. He stands up to double teams. Maybe he'll give up a yard. He's not DJ reader against double teams, but he's splitting double teams. He's getting off of double teams. He's making plays in the running game too. So I think if you're typecasting him as a poor run defender based on his size concerns, you're doing him a disservice. But I do want to talk about some other guys here on the defensive interior. You mentioned height, natural leverage. There's a couple concerns for Brian Brzee from Clemson. One of them is, you know, all the stuff that he went through last year, hasn't been able to get on the field, produce the way you would like to see from a first-round pick, despite having the athleticism and the pedigree of a guy that you would expect to be a first-round pick. It's also six, five and a half. And that is something that comes up for him as far as playing high and not being able to play with that leverage as much as you maybe would like. Let's talk about Brze. Is this a, a an emergency kind of situation pick or is this a, he's truly in play at 28 for you, Joe? He's really on that line for me because I think it's going to depend on the team. You go back to his freshman year. He looked like he's on pace to be a top 10 pick easy no doubt like his freshman highlights and flashes are insane for a guy that that's that young and because he's still only 21 right now so you have to imagine three years ago what he's doing and uh they line him up at defensive end defensive tackle five tech three tech even one tech at times uh and he has he has flashes and wins at every single technique on the defensive line but you're right with the issues of the past couple years you may give him a pass. And I think that's where the teams, how they're going to view him are going to be different all, all across the board, because some teams are going to go, all right, extren- extenuating circumstances. We're not going to kill the guy for it. We're going to go back to his freshman set tape and say, he would have been on this trajectory. We believe it. He tested like an, uh, an elite athlete. He's still a top 20 player in this class. And I think other teams are going to say, well, I would have loved to have seen it. I would have loved to have seen how he how he developed. Instead, you only get 450 snaps over the last two years, and a lot of those he's playing like the last, the final game of the year. He's playing against uh, Darnell Wright in in Tennessee in a bowl game, and he's playing defensive end the entire time. It's like, what do I do with this evaluation? What you know, he gets his he gets his butt kicked by Darnell Wright a lot of that game. But you go, what do I do with this? Do I should it even matter? And he's not going to play defensive end for us. He's 295 pounds, but he's because he's six five or so. He's probably going to do some five tech things for you. And the first thing you are going to see, you led with it, but on tape is his inability to, to maintain leverage. You want to talk about run defending situations for a defensive tackle? He is a worse run defender than Kalijah Kansi because he can't get low. He's expected to two gap guys, but if two guys, if a guy gets under him, he's getting washed backwards. I've got plenty of clips of that on Bengals on the Brain. Also, if you were watching <laughs> Banks, you're going to see this one. You're going to see him get bullied down the field, and he just can't sink and anchor and recover. But Kalijah Kansi different. He's a penetrator. He's going to try and split that gap, and he's so quick off the ball that it causes problems for offensive linemen. Disruption is 
a, a thing that no offensive line coach or run game coach wants at all. They don't want that penetration. They don't want a guy, you know, creating chaos and everything breaks loose on what the rules are on the run game. So when you watch Brise, you're going to see a guy that struggles to tackle. I think he missed 31.3% of tackles this year. That's one out of three. And then he's his he struggles with disengaging and anchoring because of his size, because of his, his natural height. But as a pass rusher, I do think he is advanced there. He has a go-to move. He's got a counter for that. And his lateral agility. So we talked about penetration with Cansey, right? That first step penetration upfield. You're not going to get that with Brzee. Different type of player. He's going to try and line up at one gap, beat you across the face instantly, and then try to penetrate. Because that's his thing. That's kind of like J.J. Watt did the same thing when he won inside because he was such a tall guy. You're not going to be able to be low and, and, and win with leverage. You've got to get side to side on these guys and beat them with athleticism. Brzee does that a lot. And I think that's just a different kind of player. Can be effective, but he's going to struggle with his leverage. I'm shocked Jake didn't go with the Northwestern guy. And, and ask you about him. But Adebare, what do you think about him at 28? As we talk, we've talked to Kansi, Brzee, now Adebare. Yeah, he may be another situation where it's in case of emergency, break glass, and he's the best guy available because he grades out really well for us. I think he's going to – I want to say Mel Kuyper has got him 14th on his draft board now. So, like, don't be surprised if he goes way higher than expected originally. But he killed the, the senior bowl just – flashed consistently we're talking about a guy who played a lot of uh defensive end five tech and lined up in the b gap a lot you know pretty split between the, the three uh but if you're going to ask him to make the full transition to defensive tackle there's probably some development there that has to take place but we're talking about a guy with crazy long length 34 plus inch arms uh a insane athlete i mean his three cone and shuttle drills are looking like defensive back type stuff uh to say that that guy's going to go in the defensive tackle, he's going to grade out. He's probably the most athletic defensive tackle of all time with those numbers. So pretty crazy. I think a 4 5 four, 40 time. Insane which, 40. People made a big deal about Kansi's 40, and Adebore did it at the same weight. Because they, they listed Adebore as a DN, and I'm yeah. like, no, like, look at this. This is crazy. Like, yeah. you, hard to wrap your mind around it. So when you watch him in Northwestern, they, like, knew he was the guy, and I think every offense knew he was the guy that you have to worry about. He got a lot of attention, man. There's a lot of plays where he's getting doubled or, or, or they're running away from him. They're like, everything goes away from him. <laughs> right. It's crazy to watch that. I mean, it's a bad team. Everything goes away from out of board. Yeah. And you can do that. So, like, when you compare raw numbers of like tackles for loss, yada, yada, it's like, yeah, they're running away from out of a lot. And he still ends up like a 97th percentile producer in our metrics. So, like, he kills the athleticism testing, kills the production. And so, what do you see on tape? You see a guy who doesn't fully understand his ability. So we talked about Michael Mayer maximizing his. We talked about a few other guys who couldn't, right, like Sam LaPorta. Uh, we under, how Manuel Forbes understands he's small while other guys don't realize their size. Edibori doesn't fully understand what he is, I think, at times. There are times where it's like, all right, man, you got the length. Like, lock, lock this guy out and use it. And then he just doesn't see the rusher. He doesn't see the ball carrier, and, and the guy ends up going through his gap. Misses a lot of tackles and has for four straight years. Uh, and I think that's part of it is vision, understanding, anticipation of where the guy and when the guy is coming through. Uh, but then you also see high-end flashes that are crazy, absolutely crazy. I'm talking about he's at five tech, and he's jumping all the way inside at the snap, inside of the guard between the center in a flash and it's like whoa that guy can't even touch him like he's leaping four yards and beating the guy with a swim move at the same time and st as he stands up and pops up he's in front of the quarterback's face and the quarterback's like shook that how this guy just teleport in front of me and 
these flashes are like insane. And it's not just athleticism. Uh, there's a there was a clip that went around in January at the Senior Bowl where he absolutely blows Jarrett Patterson, the center from uh, Notre Dame, 12 yards into the back. And like the play's over, they blow the whistle. Patterson lets up and Adebore finishes him another four yards into the pile of players. And it's like, that's like Michael Orr blindside block stuff. I, was, I fell in love at that point. Like, I want this guy on my team. I don't care if he's always going to be raw. A guy who's played 1,900 snaps in college may just always be technically raw. The high-end flashes are crazy. A couple other names to mention on the defensive line, and we've gone a little bit long here, so we're not going to get into Miles Murphy at the level of detail we wanted to, but it seems like word on the street is, you know, that the vibes are that he increasingly appears to be in play for the Bengals at 28, the Clemson edge rusher. Similar story to Brzee in some ways in terms of crazy athleticism and pedigree. Doesn't quite line up on the field. Isaiah Foskey, Notre Dame, I think should probably be a break glass in case of emergency kind of thought for the Bengals at, at edge there. Uh, I do wonder about their willingness in general to spend a first-round pick on any defensive lineman. They've not done it much. We've talked about that a lot in their recent history. So that's a question for all of these guys. Do, do we want to open the Jameer Gibbs box no. real quick, James? No, it's fine. I mean, I've covered okay. it plenty. But, Joe, are there any other guys? We've said the break glass in case of emergency scenario. Any other guys that you don't necessarily project at 28 but could potentially be under the radar for 28? I – Almost going to spin this a different direction because I've got a lot of questions about this guy recently on Twitter, and it's uh, Brian Branch from Alabama mm-hmm. Safety. And the people say, well, isn't he a top 20 guy? How could he be there? I do expect him to potentially be there, actually, and be picked in the, in the 20s range. Maybe the Eagles uh, kick that off and, and completely kill it there, but maybe they get him with their second pick. I think he's in that range, and it's not a slam dunk that the Bengals have to take him because he's, first of all, very similar to Dax Hill. He played a lot of slot corner and then strong safety. Almost no deep free safety snaps. Takes 70-something, if I remember correctly. And you look at him, and he's also small, 190 pounds. Dax Hill was 191. I mean, he is going to be an outlier as well in terms of size, especially at the strong safety position. I just don't think it matches up and lines up. I think they're going to say and look at it like probably too redundant for what we already drafted last year, number one, and you probably don't want to spend a safety pick two years in a row. Sure, would he be a good player, and do I like him? I do, uh, but I just don't think it's worth the value there. Should probably also quickly mention we haven't talked offensive line at all here. Not sure there's an interior guy for the first round for this team in this situation. Haven't talked about tackle either. A lot of the reason for that is it seems like the top four guys are gone. It seems like Darnell Wright has no chance of making it to 28 based on, again, the vibes at this point in the draft process. And so it's kind of a – it just doesn't seem to match up. But Anton Harrison, Dewan Jones, a couple guys you could talk about in terms of that break glass in case of emergency scenario. And maybe a guy falls. But the general quality of the class is such that guys are getting pushed up, I think, especially tackle such a premium position and the guys that are going to be available at 28 just aren't going to be guys you're necessarily comfortable with James. What were you going to say? Broderick Jones fall. Let's go. But yeah, you're right. It's not going to happen, right? It's that's how you cover the tackles. He's the most likely to fall in my opinion. And sure. If that happens at 28, well, guess what? I think they would take him over Kalaja Kansi and anybody. um, Let me make sure, but anybody we just talked about, I just don't, 
Don't no, I, I agree. But I, you know, of the guys, if we did spend 30 seconds here, I don't think any of those top guys are going to end up being there. We originally hope Darnell Wright. I think people see him as a clean right tackle, instant plug and play starter. He could go 17 to the Steelers. I think it was just reported today. He's got a top 30 visit with them. One of the final ones. Uh, we carry a lot of weight with those when Bengals reports come out, but uh, I would say Anton Harrison, Dwan Jones sounds like Dwan Jones is closer to 60 than he is 28. Just, based on the vibes of the of the final week, which is when I, I start to, you know, agree with some of these things or, or see clarity. Anton Harrison, I like. I don't see the, what people see when, in terms of a lack of anchor or anything like that or strength. I think he's got great grip strength. I think he's a really good run blocker. Uh, the problem is he's a projection completely because Oklahoma's RPO heavy offense, and he doesn't play right tackle. So could you move him over there and, and get a quality right tackle out of him? I just don't see it lining up and matching up. A lot of guys in play at 28. Even still, at this point, some of these guys are going to be drafted. Some of them might not get drafted until 10 picks later. That's that's the way the draft goes when you're picking at the end of the first round. But we got to cover a lot of ground today. I think this is going to be an episode that will be really interesting to look back on in a week or, or, I guess, 10 days or so after the draft to see where some of these guys go and and see how these careers play out so that's going to do it for this episode of the lockdown Bengals podcast you can find joe and all of his draft content on twitter at joe goodberry at Bengals on the brain on youtube and uh we're with brian callahan tomorrow gonna get into some questions about this offensive draft class about the running back philosophical approach if they want to draft a running back about similar ideas around tight end offensive line we're going to cover it all with the Bengals offensive coordinator heading into the draft so until then who day have a good one.